Last week, we looked at the book of Judges and how this time during Israel's history, people did what was right in their own eyes. And that was the theme of the entire book of Judges. And I mentioned that this is exactly where we are today in America. We live in an age where personal freedom is most likely what our culture values the most. We love our personal freedom. We hear things like, that might be true for you, but, but not for me. Um, you can't tell me how to think. Uh, what gives you the right to tell me what to do? Now, if you get on Facebook, everybody's telling you what you should think. Um, and the days when Israel had no king, those were days of moral anarchy. It was corrupt. It was vicious. The last chapters of the book of Judges is basically Sodom and Gomorrah part two when you read the latter half of the book of Judges. And honestly, there's stories in the latter half of the book of Judges that would be difficult for me to preach through just because they're ugly, brutal. It's just a wicked time. But that is exactly what life is like when there is no king and everyone does what is right in their own eyes. And honestly, I, I'm not sure as we're in this political year, this, uh, this vote coming up soon, I'm not sure how we as a democracy can overcome moral anarchy. Democracy only works when there is a biblical worldview of the majority. From my very limited knowledge, um, that was what the drafters of the American Constitution understood. That if we did not have a moral norm then this whole democracy thing wouldn't work. And, uh, you, you know, you think if we had a king, um, some moral king, he could come in and he could just change it overnight, right? I mean, he could make rules and just reestablish a biblical worldview. Um, but we have a democracy because an immoral king and a corrupt system drove people to this land. And so at this point, Israel does not have a king nor even a formal democracy, if it felt right, then they simply did it. Um, Israel thought their problem was that they had no king. Actually, they had a really good king, but they refused to acknowledge him as king. You see, the Lord was to be Israel's king. That was his role. And so 1 Samuel, which is where we'll be today, so you can go and grab your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel leaves us looking beyond this history of ancient Israel. Um, Israel's kings, and uh, we won't get to them today, but as we begin to see the kings unfold in 1 Samuel, uh, they were anointed with oil, and they were known as this anointed one. Now in Hebrew, the word anointed is the word Messiah. In Greek, it's the word Christ. And so uh, we will see the terrible reign of Saul, who's the first king. And as we see this flawed reign of David, uh, we are going to be pointed towards the Messiah and to the Christ, the one man who perfectly rules God's people um, in the way that God intended. And God had promised David uh, that one of his sons would reign over God's people forever. And so the history of the first Christ, lowercase c, leads us longing for the rule of the ultimate Christ, capital C. And my prayer for you is that you would see Jesus Christ 
all throughout the pages of 1 Samuel. That God would give you a greater desire for his, for his word, his word, his word, word, as we corporately walk through the life. I just want you to get excited how you just see Christ all throughout the Bible. He's not just a New Testament figure, but he's all throughout the pages of the Bible. And that's what the whole Bible is pointing towards, that there's this one Messiah. There is one really good king that we can trust and put our, put our hope in. So let me begin this morning just by a word of prayer. Let me pray for our time. Um, Lord, I, I just pray for us this morning that, that you would uh, give us the grace to see the beauty of your words here this morning, that we would just fall in love with your word, that it would encourage us this morning, it would convict us of our sin. Uh, Lord, today I pray for our country, just during this election year. Uh, Lord, today is 15 years since our country was uh, just hit with the 9-11 tragedy, Lord. 15 years. I remember being a uh, senior at Marshall. And Lord, when that happened, just thinking, what is happening to this country? And Lord, we can see from that 15 years to now that our country continues to do what's right in our own eyes. And Lord, we are not too far from the book of Judges. And so Lord, I pray for our country today. I pray that you would raise up godly men and women who would lead our country. That we can remember what was done in the past. And Lord, may we, uh, may we just be a part of uh, you reviving this country. That you would truly send a revival. Lord, may it start in the church. May it spread like wildfire, Lord. May it change this country. May we not do what's right in our own eyes, but may we do what's right in your eyes. Lord, help us to see from your perspective from 1 Samuel today. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, as we jump into the text this morning, we, we need to do some background just to understand 1 Samuel. Um, we really don't know who wrote 1 Samuel completely. Um, or 1, 2 Samuel, uh, in the Hebrew Bible, they're just one book. In our English translation, they're two books. Um, they're named after the prophet Samuel, but this does not necessarily mean that he wrote them. Um, traditionally, he has been known as one of the contributors. We actually see his death described in 1 Samuel 25, so we obviously know you, you can't write your own obituary. So we know that he didn't write that from 25, verse 1, and, and on. Um, same thing with Moses in the latter half of Deuteronomy, that last chapter, 34, we see his death. So we know that Moses didn't write his own death. Um, first Samuel is probably a collaboration with Samuel being one of the contributors. Um, the Old Testament is broken down into three categories. You have history, you have um, the writings, and you have the prophets. This fits into the history category. Um, it will give us a reliable historical account of how God was at work in redeeming his people. In the Hebrew Bible, it comes right after the book of Judges. But in our English translations, it comes right after the book of Ruth. Um, both make sense in the Hebrew Bible with it coming right after the time of Judges. I mean, it just that's the next piece. So you have no king. People did what's right in their own eyes. And then you have 1 Samuel. There is a king now. 
So it fits perfectly with that. With Ruth, it fits well too because Ruth um, happens in the time of Judges and Ruth actually ends. Um, Ruth is written after Judges because you can tell by the last chapter of Ruth, it's pointing to this guy. Um, It seems like Ruth is pointing us to this guy named David. Um, And so Ruth is actually in that bloodline of David. And then 1 Samuel starts with well, big, you know, one of David's the main character of 1 Samuel, so you can see how it fits um, for both. Um, at, the, at Judges, like the latter half of Judges, we, we, we see where it says there is, um, there is no king in Israel. It says that four times, just trying to get that in your head. 17.6, it says there is no king. 18.1, there is no king. 19.1, there is no king. And just in case you hadn't forgot or in case you had forgot, forgotten 21 25 there is no king so when we pick up in first samuel um you're going to see this this first samuel 1 opens up says uh, let's bring this up on the screen first samuel 1 it says there was a certain man so there was no king there was no king there was no king there was no king basically serving as a reminder that hey israel there's no one here that can help you there's no king look around it's corrupt it's a wicked place. Then First Samuel opens up with, there was a man. And so this is, this is pointing us, it's leading us to think, okay, is, is, this, is this the man? Is this the one who's going to save us? Is this the one who God is going to use to rescue us? Well, we quickly see that this is not the man that God is using. Um, and this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to recap chapter 1, and then we're going to camp out in chapter 2. So in chapter 1, we see that this man, this certain man from verse 1, his name is Elkanah. And we read in verse 2 that Elkanah had two wives. And let me just say, this is never a good idea, okay? It's just not a good idea. And Elkanah, Elkanah had two wives. Um, we see in verse 2, Hannah is one, and Peninnah is the other. Verse 2 suggests that Hannah, Hannah was Elkanah's first wife. Uh, verse 5 says that she, that she was his first love. So Elkanah had two wives, and um, it makes me think of that show on TLC, that sisters, Sister Wives. I don't know how many of you have checked in the Sister Wives, but my wife, has uh, she can get addicted to that show, and she's just fascinated. Like, how does that work? Um, and it, basically it's a show about Mormons who have multiple wives and how these sister wives interact as a family unit. Um, and so my wife is like fascinated. I'll come home and she's like, this is interesting. Like, they, like they're like living together and like they have like different parts of the house where they live. And um, she's like, don't you ever think about it. I'm like, I, I try, like, I'm not a good husband to one. Like I, there's no way I would be a good husband to many wives. Like this is not a good idea. And um, I couldn't imagine, like, the behind-the-scenes parts of, like, sisters' wives. Like, imagine all the robberies that take place. Maybe on film, like, they're like, oh, yeah, we love this. But you, no, you don't. That's not good. It's that's just not a good idea. And um, there's just robberies, and, and the show will highlight some of those. And same is true in 1 Samuel. We, we see the robbery taking place between these two wives. Now, Hannah's name, it means favored. And ironically, though, we find her here in chapter 1 being barren. She has no child. 
but yet her name means favored, the favored one. Um, because she's barren, this is why Elkanah takes a second wife, Peninnah. Now, if being barren isn't hard enough to deal with, the other wife, Peninnah, her name means fruitful. And she is true to her name. She has many children. We don't know how many, but in verse 4, it talks about all her sons and daughters. Um, verse 2 simply says, Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. And I, I think one of the hardest things to watch um, is when a woman desires to have a child, but yet for whatever reason she remains barren. And I know we have those stories in this congregation, and we have the stories of where you were barren for a season, and then God opened up the womb, and, and you have a child now. I uh, think of Uwe and Rachel. Man, praise God. Uh, praise God. 11 years, is that right? 12 years. 12 years. And just how you guys remain faithful uh, through that time. Uh, as difficult a, a, as, uh, as it is in our culture, barrenness was, was e even more difficult in, in, uh, in that culture for a Jew. So there was a promise given in Genesis 3.15 of this Savior child, this offspring of Adam in Genesis 3, um, meant that people were looking for a Savior, that there was going to be this one that was going to come from within Israel to redeem and rescue them. So every new birth raised the question, is this the one? Is this the certain man that's going to rescue us? Could my child be the one? Is he going to be the one that redeems the world? But no children meant there was no future for God's people. So barrenness wasn't um, only a personal tragedy, but it also carried this sense of exclusion from God's purposes. It was that God, that wasn't, God wasn't going to work through your family, basically. In verse 5, we see an important truth about tragedy. Let's look at verse 5. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. It doesn't matter how many doctors Elkanah and Hannah could have visited. It doesn't matter what new medical procedures the doctors could have offered. If the Lord has closed the womb, then there is no child. And I can't imagine how difficult it would be to battle through those thoughts of, you know, what's, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my body? What did I do wrong? I shouldn't have taken this. Or I regret that season of my life. Or, um, or it's just even the, I, I so badly want a child. And I, and, and I want this child to love and care for and to raise for the Lord. But I don't have one yet. There's so many women who don't take care of their children and yet they're pregnant again. Like just working through those thoughts and emotions. Hannah comes to this breaking point, which I, I'm sure maybe, maybe some, some of you can relate. She comes to the breaking point. Peninnah begins to make fun of Hannah. Uh, she would irritate and provoke Hannah to where Hannah in verse 7 began to weep and she just stops eating. Uh, not eating is an external sign of an inward problem. Uh, there's something wrong here. 
And Elkanah is clearly aware of this, but just not being, he's just not very wise. And, you know, again, he married another lady. Maybe we can see some problems in his life. And, and, and here he, he's just, he didn't go through premarital counseling probably. He didn't just know what to say to her. And in verse 8, he just says, some really, he just says something really dumb. Here she is. She's broken, broken, weeping, not eating. And he says, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? I mean, like, where, where's, like, where's he, like, this compassionate man? I mean, he's basically saying, am I not good enough for you? You know, shouldn't you be content with having me as your man? Why do you need all these children? I'm better than ten sons. Um. Uh, you know, Hannah, your name means favored. You know why you're favored? Because of me. Look what God has given you. He's given you me. You should be content, Hannah, favored one. But the Bible doesn't give us, uh, it, the Bible only gives us what we need to know. There's so many spots where I'm like, oh, I just want what's next. But it only gives us what we need to know, not always what we want to know. Because I want to know what she said, but we don't see it. There's a clear cut between eight and nine. And I just want to know what she said. I picture it being like, oh, yeah? What about me? What about me, Elkanah? Shouldn't I be enough for you? Oh, but yeah, you ran off and found that little Miss Fruitful. Like, shouldn't I be good enough for you? Am I not more to you than ten sons that you and Peninnah have? And so we see Hannah get up right here, and she, and she goes, and, and we actually see her going to eat. And that, there's, a, there's a point where, like, the Lord just begins to work in her life, and she just has, like, healing. I mean, she's still barren, but, like, she gets up. And I think that's, that's what I want us to see. Part of what I want us to see this morning is that there comes a point where, like, there's weeping. But even when Moses died in, in chapter 34 of Deuteronomy, uh, I, I, love, I love this, that, I, and, like, Israel's weeping. For days, but then it says, then it came time for Israel to get up and weep no more. And that's where uh, Hannah was. There was a point where she's weeping, she's broken. But man, let's get up. Not to, let's, let's not li live in our past. Let's move forward. And she gets up and she goes to pray. And when she gets up to pray, we are introduced to Eli. Eli is a priest. And Eli is a priest who sees Hannah praying and thinks she's drunk. Because while she's praying, she's just, she's sobbing. Um, have you ever been to that point where you're just broken and you're just sobbing? Man, like you just like, Lord, work. And you're just weeping. Man, I've been there. And suffering is often what drives people to this point. And suffering is what drives so many people to or from God. It's amazing how how we'll have information and we'll do different things with that same information. And here we see Hannah taking that information and praying. Um, and it just, some suffering will drive you to the throne. Like you get the news that someone has cancer or some illness, some tragedy happens in your family. For some of you, you go, God, we need you right now more than ever. Lord, I, I need you. 
please minister to us, Lord. I need to feel your hand right now, Lord. Get us through this trial. We know we can't do this without you. For others, they get that phone call, that same news, and they go, God, how dare you? I I thought you loved us. I thought you cared about me. I'm done. I'm walking from you. I'm walking away, Lord. Hannah's womb was closed. But it's so important to remember why her womb was closed. Remember back in verse 5? Because the Lord had closed her womb. He hadn't forgot about her. God is sovereign. And he is sovereign over all our suffering. Whatever the medical reasons for Hannah's barrenness, ultimately it was God who had closed her womb. It is clear from Scripture that we are all going to go through trials at some point. We can't avoid them. The important thing for us is, what do you do when you receive that information? What what are you going to do? If they're going to come, we need to be ready for their arrival. So what do we do when the trials come? Do you turn to God or do you turn from God? For for Peninnah, it it was a reason to mock God. I mean, to, to, to mock Hannah. You know, what do you have to worship God? You know, how has God favored you? By closing your womb? You're the favored one? For Elkanah, it was a reason to show pity on Hannah. You know, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? But for Hannah, the trials was a reason for her to pray. If God had closed her womb, then maybe God might also open her womb. I, I really feel like God is moving in our congregation, just calling us to be a people of prayer. I just, I know off, almost like every week I keep mentioning prayer. I just feel like we, like I just feel like we're so close to seeing God do something incredible. And he's just waiting on us to be a people of prayer. That way, because what prayer does is it, we're saying, God, we can't do it without you. And, and I think maybe he, his concern for us is if, if he does this great work, then we're going to look around the room and go, look what we've done. And I really think we need to enter a season of just prayer. So when God does this great thing here in Huntington, when we see the drug culture change in Huntington, when we see revival take place in Huntington, when we see people getting saved and we're doing baptisms every week, that it's not going, look what we're, look what we're doing, but we're going, God, you're answer, you answered that prayer, that you are faithful. But I think the reason we don't pray is that we feel like we don't need to pray, that we think we can manage without God. We have so many gifted people in this room that we can do a lot of great stuff without the help of God. We have great musicians. We have incredible servants there's some ways that we can do the motions here, put on the show. That's not going to do a revival in Huntington. God's not going to work through that. That we got to get on our knees. We can't manage without God. We need his help. What happens is our prayers often end up being some kind of duty or obligation, some kind of box to check off. You know, okay, I prayed today, God. But Hannah did not get up to pray that day because she had 
realized that she had forgotten, like, oh, man, I, f- I forgot to pray this morning. I forgot to do my alone time with God. So, so let me stop crying here. Let me go get something to eat, and let me go do my prayer time, my alone time with God. She got up and went to pray because she was broken in spirit, and there was nowhere else to turn. And so Eli the priest sees her praying, thinks she's drunk, and she tells him that she's not drunk, but troubled in spirit because God had closed her womb. Then Eli prays for her, and God opens up her womb. And what 1 Samuel chapter 1 is trying to make clear for us is that Hannah asks, and the Lord gives. And the Lord closes Hannah's womb, and the Lord opens Hannah's womb. Uh, We have a God who answers prayer. We see that in chapter 1. That we, as children, need to go to him and beg, beg him, God, we need you today. Now, I want to make sure, just so we're not confused. God does not always give us exactly what we ask for. There were many barren women in Israel who did not receive a child, just as today. It's important for us to remember that Hannah's story fits into the genre of history, and um, this genre um, is not normative. As we walk through 1 Samuel, you need to remember that narrative genre is not normative. Um, Narrative is not normative, meaning that just because you see it happen um, does not mean it will always happen. Um, So just because you see something happen in 1 Samuel, um, like later we'll see the story of David defeating the giant Goliath. That does not mean if you take a sling out, and fight some, you know, strong guy that you're going to win just because you have a sling and follow that model. Um, so make sure you understand that just as we interpret this, this book. The message here is not that every childless woman who prays for a child will receive one. That's just not true. Hannah's story is told because it points to something bigger, something extraordinary. This is incredible. When Hannah asked God in verse 11 uh, to look on your servant's misery, she is echoing the language um, of God's relationship to Israel during this, this period, during the Exodus period. In Exodus 3, verse 7, this is on the screen, the Lord says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. So Hannah's cry models that cry. Hannah's name means favored, yet she is not favored. In the same way, Israel has received God's, uh, or Israel is favored in the sense that they're God's chosen people, yet they're not favored in in Exodus 3 because they were living in slavery. In Hebrew, the word favor it's the same word for, for grace. In Hannah's time, Israel had, has received God's grace, but at this point in their history, Israel is not favored. The end of the book of Judges shows uh, this nation is in turmoil. 
Just as Hannah is barren, so is Israel. They are not bearing any fruit. Now, time elapsed between verse 20 and verse 21. Uh, in verse 20 of Samuel 1, um, Hannah has this baby boy. His name's Samuel. In verse 21 to the end of that chapter, we see, we see her plan is to physically give this baby to the Lord. Which is incredible. Think about it. Um, she's barren, has this child, and instead of clinging to him, she's going to give this child to, uh, to the Lord, to Eli, this priest, to raise. In verse 23, Elkanah says to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed, uh, nursed her son until she weaned him. Now notice here, this is, this is so fascinating. Notice that O'Connor says, only may the Lord establish his word. Up until this point, God hasn't spoken. If we were just to read straight through chapter 1, the Lord hasn't said anything. Hannah was the one who made the vow to God. Um, and she's the one who may, needs to make good on it. So what is the word that the Lord needs to keep? Um, it can't be the child, this gift of the child. It's not that because um, she already has the child. Um, I'm, I love this book. It's called uh, um, First Samuel for You. It's a, it's a book series. And um, pretty much my outline today comes from this book. Um, a guy named Tim Chester wrote this. And he says, talking about verse 21 here, what is this word that the Lord must fulfill? Chester writes this. He says, the answer here is that the word that the Lord has given to his people, um, has given is his word to his people. God has promised to bless his people and make them a blessing to the nations. What is happening to Hannah is part of that larger word a sign of larger purposes of God for his people. Verse 19 says, The Lord remembered. This does not mean that God is forgetful and suddenly says to himself, Oh, yes, I must remember Hannah uh, to fall pregnant. It had, it had slipped my mind. Remembering has a more specific meaning. It means God acting in accordance to his covenant promises as he did at the beginning of the Exodus story. I, I'm convinced when Hannah's, um, when, 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 when she has this child, um, and she, she, she moves into chapter two, she has this incredible prayer. I, I, think, I think she knows, like, there's something bigger going on than just uh, she's having this baby boy. It, this is incredible. Um, she, I think she realizes there's something grand to the birth of Samuel. And I think it shows us why she's praying this prayer in chapter 2 um, that I want us to walk through quickly this morning. I mean, think, she is a new mom. You know, we have moms all around. We have new baby. As, as a new mom, think about like that first child and think like, I'm not talking about, um, you know, like last week we got to celebrate um, Megan, um, Meg Murphy, Meg Brownfield just had her first baby. Um, you know, Megan's probably 20, how old's Meg? Probably 25, okay? So she's just celebrating the, 
birth of this baby, and like we're all excited for her and Caleb. But think about Hannah. She's not, she's not in her 20s. Tw- it's not like she's newly married, just starting life. She's not in her 20s, probably not in her early 30s. When we read about Hannah, she's probably later 30s, maybe 40s. And now she's, she has a baby, and, and she's going to give that child away. I, if you put yourself in Hannah's situation, I, I think most of us would like, we'd be like the ultimate helicopter parent. Like, we're going to like get a helmet for that baby. Like, God, you gave me this child, and I'm going to make sure nothing happens to this baby. But Hannah goes, no, Lord, you've given me this baby. I'm going to give him back to you because you're going to do something great with this child. The world is going to be blessed by this child. So I'm going to give him the Eli to raise. Ah, I can't imagine being that. So Hannah prays this prayer in chapter 2. And I've read this prayer so many times. But it's never been as beautiful as, as until I was preparing for this and just seeing a bigger picture. I love keeping Scripture in context. And just sometimes when we read, like when we're doing our devotion and we read like a chapter one day and then read a chapter another day, we just don't see the bigger picture. And when you read all this together, I'm like, this is beautiful. Because I've read this prayer, I'm like, this, what's the big deal? I don't really get it. Read, read this with me. Chapter 2, and this is on the screen. Chapter 2, and Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts. And as we read this, I just want you to think moms, especially like women, because you can just identify with this maybe. Just, is this how you would pray? What would your, you haven't had a child. You now have a child, or maybe you want a child. What, what would that song be, that song of praise? What would it be? This is Hannah's. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. Horn just means it's my strength. Horn is a picture of strength or power. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Verse 1 and 2, okay, I get it. Let's keep going. So there's, a, there's a shift here. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. Now here, starting in verse 4, we're going to see this series of reversals. And just think, this is a new mom praying this. Verse 4, the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down the Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. And on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones. But the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. 
He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This is kind of like a weird prayer. She just has this baby and like the bows of the mighty are broken. God, may you judge the earth, the ends of the earth. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to peace. I mean, moms, this is what you pray? Just kind of, like, what's going on here? Uh, Hannah's story, it's a picture of Israel's history. Uh, it's a picture of their story. And, and not just Israel's story, but it's a picture of our story. It's a, it's a picture of all humanity. Spiritually speaking, you too are like Hannah. That, that you are barren and fruitless. That's what this is talking about. But this movement in Hannah's story is from a barren woman to a fruitful woman. That we see God bringing life where there is no life. Like Hannah, you have been provoked by your enemy. Hannah was provoked by Peninnah. Peninnah was able to influence her um, to where Hannah believed that she wasn't worth anything. And you and I are often um, influenced by the enemy to think that we're worthless. We don't have any value. That we believe those lies, just as Hannah. And then we see this series of reversal in Hannah's song. And back in chapter 1, Elkanah asked Hannah, why are you downhearted? It's literally asking, why is your heart sad? And you see at the beginning of of Hannah's prayer that she's rejoicing. She's no longer downhearted. She's no longer sad. She's rejoicing. Hannah's song starts with my. It's repeated three times in verse 1. But then after that, her focus shifts to the Lord. The Lord is mentioned nine times in this song. He is the actor in this song. He is sovereign. The key verse in this prayer is verse 2. Bring this back up. I love this. Verse 2. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Ah, that is beautiful. And Hannah concludes her song with these words. He, verse 10, he will give strength to his king. And exalt the power of his anointed. This is incredible. He will give strength to his king. Now, put yourself in this context. Time of judges. And she has this child. Let's leave this up. Leave leave verse 10 up. She has no child. God gives her a child. And she's praised. That God would give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. Why does this phrase make absolutely no sense for the people of Israel? Because there is no king. There's no king right now. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. What Hannah's song says is this, that God's king is coming. It's not even the king that you guys are thinking about because they're going to get excited here in a couple chapters. We finally have a king. God's going, no, no, it's not the king. 
He's not the anointed one. Yeah, he'll be anointed, but he's not the anointed one. There's a king who's coming, and when he comes, he will turn the world upside down. And this verse, it should get our attention pointing forward. And some of you, you already know where I'm going. You already know about the king I'm talking about. See, Hannah was barren, and God gave her a son named Samuel. Many years later, man, I love the Bible. It's so beautiful. Many years later, there's another lady who was barren. Her name was Elizabeth. She wasn't blessed by a priest, but if you remember that story, an angel spoke to her and gave her this promise of a child that would come. She gave birth to another boy. His name was John. If Elizabeth is this picture of a New Testament version of Hannah, then John must be this New Testament version of, of uh, Samuel. Samuel prepared the way for King David. John prepares the way for a better king, the new David, King Jesus. Jesus is the coming king. All throughout history, God has chosen barren women to play a key role in the bloodline of his son. Um, but when it comes to the king of all kings, look what he does. Think about Mary. He doesn't choose a barren woman. He goes one step further. He uses, he uses a virgin birth to bring in his king. And I love this. Just as Hannah has this child and she just, her heart just rejoices and she sings and has this prayer. Uh, what, you think about, about in Luke 1, when Mary meets uh, Elizabeth, when Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist in her stomach, you remember this? And, and she finds out Elizabeth and Mary are cousins, and, and they find out that Mary's pregnant. And John the Baptist, even while in, in Elizabeth's um, womb, like rejoices and praises Christ. Then Mary in Luke 1, what does she do after this? She has this song. The Magnificent. And she begins to sing. And I, I kid you not, if you were to read Luke 1, maybe do that tonight. Read Luke 1. Mary's prayer in Luke 1 is almost an exact reconstruction of Hannah's song. It's absolutely beautiful what God is doing. Both rejoice in God's provision, but see it as a picture of what God will do for his people. The question this story, I think, should leave us with, and this is where I'll close this morning, is which side of history are you on? There are two kingdoms. You know, we've been talking about a king this morning. A king has a kingdom. There are only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of this world, and there's the kingdom of God. There are only two types of people. Those who defy God or ignore him, and those who humble themselves before him. Those who defy God or ignore him, they're part of the kingdom of this world. They will not enter into the kingdom of God. Those who bow their knee, repent of their sin, you are invited to be a part of the kingdom of God. Hannah's, Hannah sings that he humbles and he exalts, he raises the poor from dust. And makes them inherit a throne of honor. See, you and I were poor. 
but God has given us an inheritance. That we're no longer poor. That we're part of royalty. That you are a prince. You are a princess to the king of all kings. We clearly see like our position like reversing here in Colossians 1. Look at this as I close. 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This passage is incredible. I'm gonna invite the band to come back this morning. We're gonna keep singing. I just want you to think about this. If you've never asked for forgiveness of your sins and made Jesus the Lord of your life, then you are still in this kingdom of darkness, this domain of darkness. That's where you live. That is your kingdom. Today is your opportunity to have your eternal address changed forever. God wants to transfer you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his son, where he reigns forever. The only way this will ever happen is when you ask for forgiveness and give him the authority over your life. That's what it means to be a part of a kingdom, that you're, you have a king who reigns over your life. It's not just that he's your savior, but he's your Lord, he's your king. You have to obey the king. It's not good for those who do not obey the king. And so part of this is you repent. You ask for forgiveness. You give him authority over your life. Your life is no longer yours. It belongs to the king. If you have put your trust in Christ, then you have been transferred from this kingdom of darkness to this kingdom of light, this kingdom of Christ. And you now become one of the greatest ambassadors, and I know Olivia talked about that on Friday night to you ladies, that you're an ambassador for this kingdom, that God has given you the keys to unlock the captives, to set them free. May God grant you the grace and boldness to proclaim this good news to others this week. Let's pray. God, you are our king. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room this morning that's still living in the darkness, that they are trying to be their own king. Lord, I pray that they would just surrender to you for many reasons. One, because you are coming to judge the earth. We see Hannah praying that. And that they will ultimately find out that their kingdom, that they're trying to govern, is no match for your kingdom. And so that's one reason that we should bow our knee and pray to you. Because we are going to be judged. And that should be enough. But Lord, another reason that we should bow our knee and give you the keys is because you know all things. And so, Lord, that's the kind of power you have, and I, I want to give you the keys to my life. I want to have someone who knows all things, who knows what's my best. You have my good and in interest. I want that kind of king. 
And Lord, as we're in this uh, election season, this election year, Lord, I, I, I'm not sure our president's past and future always have our best interests in their mind. Lord, that there's something for them to gain. But Lord, you are so good and faithful. You want what's best for us. Ironically, Lord, what's best for us is to worship you. It goes well for us when we worship you. That's why we were created to worship you. So Lord, I pray that you would convict any in this room this morning that still needs to bow that knee and pray. I pray that you'd convict them that they'd have trouble sleeping this week. Lord, for those who have bowed the knee, who who are part of your kingdom, Lord, give give us boldness this week that we would tell others about you. That we would encourage others by this incredible story of the hope found in the gospel. God, we love you. Thank you for for what you're doing here at MCF, for using people like us who are broken, who are poor in spirit. You've made us rich, heirs to the kingdom. May we sing out of a heart of gratitude this morning. I pray this in Christ's name, amen.